Morning, church family. If you're visiting, I'll add my welcome to Sherry's welcome. Glad you're here. Hope you feel quickly at home. My name is Kelly, and uh, it's my pleasure to open God's Word with you, serve as senior pastor here at the church. Fun to see all the kiddos in worship this morning, sharing in the Lord's table with us. If you're a guest and you have kids with you, you're welcome to take the kids out, your children out. They're welcome to stay as well. You can pick them up downstairs after service if you'd like, or after you go out to lunch down in the village and then you can come back. Good, you're listening. All right. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 3. We're making our way through the book slowly, the book of Deuteronomy. Over the last four weeks, we've completed chapters 1 and 2. This morning, we're going to jump ahead a little bit. We're going to uh, skip over the first part of chapter 3, which records the battle of Israel against um, Bashan and Og, the king of Bashan, and we're, we're also going to skip over the distribution of a part of the land uh, to two and a half of the tribes of Israel, the, some land east of the Jordan. And we'll get, uh, there'll be more battle narratives we'll get to, and there'll be more distribution of the land that we'll get to later on. Uh, but this morning, our focus is on the close of chapter three and a prayer, the prayer life, frankly, of Moses. Uh, which is featured in verses 21 to 29. Before I read Moses' prayer, though, his experience of prayer, I want to read a letter uh, from a father to a son. Uh, the father expresses frustrations with prayer, and I'm sure that we will all be able to relate to a certain degree uh, to this letter. Dear son, there's an aspect of religion I've never understood, prayer. And so the dad and the son are having this ongoing dialogue via snail mail uh, about matters of faith. And so the father raises prayer. I think that when most people think of God, they think of this rather distant, nasty, strong, old bearded guy in the clouds because he just doesn't seem very interested in us. If he was as interested in us the way born-again types say he is, I don't see how he could let us go down the course that we've gone down, that is, humanity. For example, you say we can talk to him, but does he listen? I don't think so. Think how many millions of Jewish parents banged God's ear off during the Holocaust. All they got was silence. So if God's personally interested in us, why is prayer so totally unsuccessful? I fail to recall any time in my life where the prayers of anyone were really answered. And then it gets more personal. When your mother was dying, we all prayed till we were blue in the face. Even you kids prayed. Maybe God doesn't listen to the prayers of sinful adults, but he should have at least heard the cries of your kids of you kids, he says. And then I think of Sherry's communion reflection this morning as a seven-year-old. Instead, you kids left, were left motherless, and that set in motion a rather unfortunate history you yourself know only too well. If God had been personally concerned about us, he would have spared your mother and spared all of us a tremendous amount of pain. There you have it, straight from the gut, all my love, Dad. I love the dialogue there. 
ever feel? Uh, can you reflect or identify with some of what the dad is sharing? At one level, I'm envious about the honesty this family uh, has. Many families don't talk that straightforwardly about their spiritual frustrations and their questions about God and with God. Uh, what are we to do when God is slow to answer our prayers? Or even more to the point, what are we to do when God says no to our prayer requests? And before I read this morning's passage in which Moses gets an emphatic no from God, bear in mind, so I'm going to set the context a little bit, bear in mind that during Israel's wanderings in the wilderness, Moses had disobeyed God at a critical juncture along that journey. And as a result of his disobedience, God told him that he would not be allowed to enter the promised land. That wasn't going to happen for him. That story is recorded in the book of Numbers, chapter 20, if you want to read it later today, and I, I'd encourage you to read it later today. It's the backdrop of his prayer life in this morning's passage. The summary of Numbers 20 in that story where Moses is told he will not be entering the promised land is that Israel was once again complaining against God about how hard was their experience in the wilderness. And they were accusing Moses and accusing God of having evil intentions. The presenting problem was that they didn't have enough water as they were in the wilderness. It's a desert setting. And they accused God of actually bringing them into the wilderness to kill them let them die a painful death by dehydration, as it were. As, as odd as it sounds, Moses was giving very specific directions to care for Israel in this complaint, in this issue of not having enough water. He was to speak to a nearby rock, and water's going to gush out of it and abundantly provide for the Israelites. Moses doesn't follow the directions he's been given by God, and he takes the staff of God, uh, the same staff that he raised at God's direction, and the Red Sea parted and they walked through. And he takes that staff and he strikes the rock twice. To us, it seems like a lesser infraction. He strikes the rock, and in God's mercy, and this is, I think this is beautiful, in God's mercy, water gushes out, and the needs of Israel are abundantly met. So Moses is categorically disobedient to God. He doesn't speak to the rock. He strikes the rock. Seems small to us, but it's, it's a demonstration, uh, if you read the context, uh, of Moses' lack of trust in God. End of some anger potentially going on with Moses and frustrations of his own, lack of trust. But God in his abundant grace, this is beautiful, God in his abundant grace, he pours water out of the rock despite the leadership's disobedience, Moses' disobedience, and he meets the needs of Israel in that context. But the consequences of his disobedience are that he'll not enter the promised land. This breaks Moses' heart. This is the backdrop of this morning's passage. His hopes of seeing the promised land aren't going to happen. Instead, Joshua, second in charge, one of the two guys that brought 
uh, a positive report back about the promised land. Twelve spies were sent in, Caleb and Joshua, two of the twelve, the only two of the twelve that say, yeah, we can do this, let's go into the land. Joshua is going to be take over the reins and lead them into the promised land. The first part of the passage, Deuteronomy 3, verse 21 is on the screen. At that time I commanded Joshua, so Moses is describing to Israel as a whole what had unfolded. At that time I commanded Joshua, you've seen with your own eyes and all all that the Lord your God has done to these two kings. The Lord will do the same to all the kingdoms over there where you are going across the Jordan. Don't be afraid of them. The Lord your God himself will fight for you. Pause there for a moment. Over there is on the, the west side of the Jordan River. They're on the east side. They're looking into the promised land, ready to cross. Uh, This is where Joshua will lead them in the days to come. And the two kings that uh, Moses is referencing here is, we covered one of those battles last week, Sion, king of Heshbon. And we talked about how Israel defeated them, and it was a holy war, and God acts on their behalf. The other king, Og, king of Bashan, is in the first half of Deuteronomy 3. Again, it's a a tremendous victory as God fights on behalf of Israel. Moses is telling Joshua that just as the Lord defeated those two kings, all those other kings and their kingdoms on the west side of the Jordan will will be defeated similarly uh, by God. He'll fight on your behalf. Don't be afraid. Let's press on, verse 23. At that time, I pleaded with the Lord, Sovereign Lord, you have begun to show your servant your greatness and your strong hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do the deeds and mighty works you do? Let me go over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, that fine hill country in Lebanon. Okay, that's a prayer. It's in quotes. Moses says, at that time, I pleaded with the Lord. The consequences of Moses' sin, as well as the sin of the broader community of Israel, were crushing him. He wanted deeply, badly to get into the promised land, so he pleads with the Lord. If you currently have something you're pleading for God to provide to you in life, and I think we probably all do, our ears should be perked up right now. If you've pleaded in times past for something from God and you, you were met with what felt like silence, no answer, or there was an emphatic no, then this passage is for you this morning. Are you pleading? Have you pleaded with the Lord before? I think most have. Now, my first pass at reading that passage I think was pretty flat. Let me read it again. Let me see if I can give it a second pass and and capture what I believe is the spirit of what was going on, okay? Sovereign Lord, you have begun to show your servant your greatness and your strong hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do the deeds, the mighty works you have done? Let me go over and see the good land beyond the Jordan in that fine hill country in Lebanon. A little better. Still probably not there. Folks, I've had times where I'm on my knees. I'm not odd. I know that many of you have had times when you're crying, 
your face down. You've asked your mother, you've asked your dad, you've asked your pastor, you've asked your best buddies, and you go back up on the hill and you cry out to God. It's a go, no-go moment for you. He wants to see the achievement of what he's been working for for 40 years. He's doing the wanderings along with all the others. He wants the fruit of his labor. He wants the blessing of God. Just this morning, we pray every Sunday morning if you want to be a part, 745 to 815, just send me your email. You can be on the Zoom, the Zoom prayer. We prayed this morning for children, the children of those and grandbabies of those represented on the call in the church. We pray for the children of this church. I'm conservatively, I'd estimate twice a week that they would know Christ. Some on the call have kids that have wandered from the faith. We pray they'd come home. They'd know the joy of answering the invitation to lay their burdens down on Christ rather than carry those crushing burdens, right? Amen. He wants to know the blessings of God. And he's pleading. Don't blow over the words. Pleading. Pleading. All right. Let's see, Let's see what he experiences. Verse 26. Now he's talking to Israel broadly. But because of you, <laughs> the Lord was angry with me and would not listen to me. And on the podcast, we'll dig into this a little deeper. Because Moses was disobedient and the nation was disobedient. What's going on with Moses' posture here? In quotes, the next words are the answers of God to Moses. That's enough. Wow. Do not speak to me any more about this matter. Go up to the top of Pisgah, it's a mountain nearby, and look west and north and south and east. Look at the land with your own eyes. See, since you are not going to cross the Jordan, but commission Joshua and encourage and strengthen him. For he will lead this people across and will cause them to inherit the land that you will see. So he stayed in the valley near Beth Peor. The answer is a firm no. In fact, it's an emphatic no. God was angry with Moses he, because of Israel and because of his own disobedience. And he says, basically, he, well, he says, that's enough. I don't want to hear about this anymore. So this gives me the flavor for the nature of the pleading that had been going on. I don't want to hear about this anymore. We're done here. Enough. You ever had this with your kids? If you have teenagers, you've done this work. We're done here. Enough. Case is closed. Stop. Because I've decided Joshua's the man who will lead the people. 
your new responsibility is to encourage and strengthen Joshua. Stay in your lane, Moses. Do the work I've called you to do. So what are we to make of this? My favorite topic to preach on is prayer. I can't tell you how much fun uh, it has been to, to prepare for this. Uh, and there are any number, and I'm still processing the passage. And I bet if we were to pause, uh, this room could be filled with great points of application and color commentary on this type of reality. Let me do uh, some of my best. First, we could comment on how beautiful it is, utterly beautiful, that Moses speaks to and then hears from God with such intimacy. Prayer is, prayer is amazing. It is, it's a stunning opportunity to hear from your Creator, the person who formed you, Psalm 139, in the secret place. He knew you before your parents knew one another and formed you. And you have an open invitation to dialogue with him. It's just stunning, mind-boggling. Make no mistake, when you pray, your creator hears you. Even if he doesn't answer right away, even if Sherry on the hilltop didn't see clouds form, even if that was coincidental, and you're having your trouble getting your arms around that, what's monumental is, some years later, I won't guess at her age, she's standing on the platform saying she met Christ. God's word came alive to her. Some strange combination of natural revelation and special revelation, the spirit of God at work in her life, he heard her. You may want to turn me down. <laughs> it is stunning to me the blessing of prayer. He hears us. We can talk with God and our Creator hears us. We can trust Him in every answer. Whether we're met with what feels like silence, an emphatic yes, absolutely, a no, never, And here, folks, just so we're clear, there are many times Moses got, absolutely, I'm doing that because you ask. There are many times in the prayer life of Moses where he got, yep, I'm all over that from God the Father. Yeah, I'm doing that. Exodus chapter 32, the, the Israelites have been rebellious and, and Moses intercedes for them and God says, yep, I'm all over it. I'm doing that. Numbers 14, the same thing happens. It's a little bit of a cycle for Israel. And God says, yep, I'm on that. You've got what you've asked for. We're good to go. So we can draw comfort and encouragement from this passage that God is not our puppet. I'll say that again. There's tremendous comfort in the reality here that I don't control God. Prayer is not, it's not me 
putting God in an armbar so that I get what I want. It's not a wrestling match with me bringing God into submission. It's me, the child, going to a good father who's eager to lavish good gifts upon me. I'm quoting from Scripture here if you're newer to things of faith. A good father who knows how to give good gifts to his kiddos and is eager to lavish blessings on us. But we, he is not our puppet. He's not our puppet. And this isn't a wrestling match where if I say the right words or strike the right physical posture that I get what I want. The name of Jesus is no abracadabra. Somebody, some of us put in Jesus' name at the end of a prayer, like, you know, you might use the word abracadabra and wave a wand. That's not what's going on in prayer. We're in relationship. We're getting to know him. Sometimes Moses got an emphatic yes Sometimes he got a no, and I'm done on this topic. And I take comfort there. I take comfort there. Let's take comfort there. Because it means the weight of the world isn't on our shoulders. Folks, if he's our puppet, then I am God, and we're all in trouble. But if he's my creator, and I'm his creature, and I can trust his character, I didn't work on that alliteration then the easy yoke and the light burden is mine. In the crushing burden and the heavy yoke of thinking I'm infinite in my wisdom and I know who should live and who should die, that's a crushing burden. Or if I, to, to pretend I know the route my three kids should take in life so that they experience Christ, I don't know that route. I present it to my Father who knows and loves them better than I know and love them. And there's the easy yoke. There's the light burden. And I'll be honest with you, I do the same thing with the church in which I share leadership. I don't pretend to know the future. That's not how I approach prayer. That's not how the people of God approach prayer. So I take great comfort in the fact that he gets a no. And he gets, he gets that from God. You do that to your kids, we're done. I heard the story of a woman, I tell the story here because she's, um, I see the work of Christ in her life in a powerful way. I heard the story of a woman who prays for healing her prayers for healing, they went unanswered for a long time. And it began to discourage her faith. She wrestled with whether God was truly good and could be trusted. For several weeks, she lay in a hospital bed pleading with God for healing. Her prayers went unanswered, and she wasn't sure why, and she was tempted to, to grow in a disappointment and an anger towards God, a frustration with God. During that time, though, she... She got to know someone in the bed next to her. They were sharing a room. And her roommate refused to pray. Remember the day when you shared a hospital room? D does that happen anymore? I don't know. Although this roommate had prayed as a little girl, she now refused to pray. Because she felt God didn't answer her prayers when she was a little girl. She had stopped praying. 
she, she felt God wasn't there available and caring. So now she's in a hospital bed and she won't pray. She felt God was callous to her needs. Over the course of several weeks, we have these two ladies uh, side by side in beds. One is praying and, and feeling like her prayers are going unanswered and growing uh, potentially frustrated. The other is refusing to pray. But the one that is praying and, and tempted to grow frustrated in her prayers is sharing her faith, despite that, with the one who won't pray. That woman who wouldn't pray is named Jill Briscoe. Some of you I can tell by the, the nature of your response. Jill and her husband, Stuart, have ministered, I, they're in their 90s now, but they have ministered around the globe for the last 50 years. They're in their 90s, so I should do the math better. A long time. My wife still subscribes to a magazine that Jill Briscoe produces. Um, and they, they led the church, Elmbrook Church, which is in Brookfield, Wisconsin, where Sherry and I were married. Sherry was on staff there in the youth ministry for just a little while, and we got married up there. Uh, Stuart and Jill Briscoe have had an international, fruitful ministry. She was the woman that was refusing to pray. And she talks about the impact of the person who was relentless in her prayers, even though discouraged, in her personal testimony. We might not always know why our prayers go unanswered or even why we receive an emphatic no. But we can rest assured that God is good. Amen? Yeah. Romans 8, 28, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, even in unanswered prayer. Those who've been called according to his purposes. Here's the reality, when it comes to prayer, we're not unlike Moses. All right? I love this part of it, so I'm looking for the gospel here. I'm in the Old Testament, I'm looking for the gospel. We're not unlike Moses in that we continue to bear the consequences of our own sin and the sin of the community in which we live. My sin affects you, your sin affects me, and we bear the consequences of that sin. By that I mean to say that we're simply not in heaven yet. <laughs> And while we can look over, as it were, into the promised land, Moses was invited up on Mount Pisgah, take a look, this is what the people will inherit. We're not yet in the promised land. The kingdom of, of, of God has not yet fully come. Paul said, in fact, that we look through a glass dimly, but then we'll see face to face. Just as Moses was begging to enter the promised land, pleading to escape the consequences of his own sin and the sin of Israel, he wanted to enjoy the fruit of his repentance immediately. We similarly long to escape the consequences of our sin, don't we? We long and pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We want to escape the consequences of our sin. Even though we've repented, we still bear that load. We're in a sinful world. The kingdom hadn't fully come yet. Here's the good news. God wasn't rejecting Moses as a person when he told him no. We aren't rejected by God when we're told no. 
The good news is that we're invited to peer over into the promised land and see the goodness of God that awaits us in heaven. That's for certain for us. We get, although through a glass dimly, Paul says, we get to peer over. We know what lies ahead for us. Read the book of Revelation and the description of heaven where a river flows out and meets the needs of the people of God, unending. And we're brought into his presence, and there's no need for a celestial sun, S-U-N, because the presence of God, S-O-N, lights the world. That's what's ahead for us. We peer over into that even as we live in a sinful world. The grace of God here is the invitation up on Mount Pisgah. You can look, but not yet will you be in. We are invited to look over, to encourage one another, and to sing to each other, and to continue in prayer. There'll be an opportunity in a minute. Come on forward for prayer. Let God minister to you. You may hear an emphatic no. The good news is you're in dialogue with your creator. The good news is, the good news is your God isn't a puppet, which means you're, you don't have to pretend you're actually in control of everything. The good news is those reminding, praying with you can remind you that heaven's certain. In this world we'll have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Take heart this morning. The son responds to the father. Here's the second letter. Dear Dad, I really appreciate the honesty of your last letter. I think it deserves a response of the same caliber. I too have often asked God why Mom died, and I too have never received an answer. But around the age of 20, after being a Christian for about three years, I received something far more important than an answer to my question, why? I received healing and am still receiving it. Many memories from my childhood began coming back to me, usually in times of prayer, and they were sometimes extremely painful. But in the face of these memories, the Lord brought love and healing. Come up on Mount Pisgah, folks. In the face of the abandonment I experienced during mom's death, the Lord said to me, I'll never leave you or forsake you. In the face of my need for the unconditional loving mother I never had, the Lord said, I want to be that mother to you. And he said, Christ isn't our adversary. So God the Father in prayer is saying this to this boy. Christ isn't our adversary in times of suffering. He's our cure. An intellectual answer could never do that. My question still remains, but Christ provided an understanding in my heart which the mind could never grasp. That's why the Bible says that God gives believers a peace that passes all understanding through prayer. I guess what I'm saying, Dad, is this. I don't know exactly why God didn't answer our prayers for Mom, but more important than the answer is the healing I have received and am receiving if you could just get a picture of the beauty of Christ in your mind, he'd win your love in a way that reasons could never do. Again, thanks for the honesty. With love and hope, your son.
Let's bow our heads together. Father, as your children, we thank you for prayer. And we delight that we're not in control, but that we can bring every request to you. Every heartache, every heartbreak, every loss, every struggle, addiction, and we present them to you. Every concern, anxiety, we lay at your feet. Peter says, cast your cares on him because he cares for you. And we do that in Jesus' name.